Uh, well, friends, uh, this week my wife and I finally replaced our old dining chairs for new ones. Uh, if you've been to our place before, uh, you may have noticed that our old chairs were getting a bit wobbly. Sorry for putting your life at risk if you've ever sat at our uh, dining table, but the legs were shaky. The plastic chair itself had some big cracks developing. Uh, It was getting to the point where it was a bit dangerous to sit on the chairs. And so it was wonderful this week just to uh, sit around the dining table on these uh, wonderful new chairs that were firm and sturdy and strong. Now, uh, this morning, I want to suggest to you that Isaiah chapter 7 is all about the firmness of faith. The firmness of faith. Would you describe your faith as firm? Or, like my old chairs, is it a bit wobbly and in danger of crumbling? I think one of the key verses in this chapter comes in verse 9. If you have your Bibles uh, open, have a look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9, uh, where God says to King Ahaz, If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, if you do not have faith, then you do not have a future. Everything will crumble eventually. I hope you can see that there's a lot at stake when it comes to having a firm faith. Uh, Well, we've been looking at the book of Isaiah for about a month now. Uh, Last week, uh, as Piri mentioned, we saw that uh, Isaiah had a vision of God and uh, he was commissioned for his work as a prophet. Uh, If you remember Isaiah's job that he was given was to take God's message to a people who simply would not listen to him. Uh, By and large, the nation would be spiritually deaf and blind to God's word. And so here in chapter 7, we're expecting to see Isaiah's preaching falling on deaf ears. And that is exactly what we find as Isaiah brings his word to King Ahaz, the king of Judah, the king of the southern kingdom, which is where Jerusalem is. Now, what are the historical circumstances in which Isaiah brings God's word to Ahaz? Uh, Well, you can see there that Isaiah comes to Ahaz during a time when Jerusalem is threatened with war. Uh, You can see it there in verse 1. Have a look with me at verse 1. It says there, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah... Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. You see, there are these two kings to the north of Jerusalem who are preparing for war against Ahaz. Uh, It might be helpful at this point just to uh, grab uh, this map, uh, which I've given you in your outlines. Um, You can see there that The kingdom of Syria, or Aram, is to the north of Jerusalem. Um, And you can also see there uh, that the kingdom of Israel is immediately to the north of Jerusalem. 
uh, at this time, Rezin is the king of uh, Aram or Syria, and Pekah, the son of Romalia, is the king of Israel. And it is these two kings who come to wage war against Jerusalem. Uh, Why are these kings ganging up on Jerusalem, you might ask? Well, it's because during this time, the nation of Assyria, which is sort of further north uh, to uh, Syria, uh, the nation of Assyria was gaining in military and political strength so that it was becoming the new superpower of the Middle East. And whenever you get a nation beginning to build its strength way, well, the smaller nations around it start to feel a little bit nervous. Uh, It's a bit like a school bully. Uh, You know, uh, in any schoolyard, there is a school bully who goes around and uh, beats up uh, the other kids and takes their lunch money. I wonder whether you've ever been in that situation before. But what is the best way, if you are a small child, what is the best way that you can defend yourself against a school bully? Uh, Well, uh, there's probably a few different ways, but one way is to find other small children that you can form a bit of an alliance with, isn't it? Uh, There's always safety in numbers. If you can belong to a a bigger group, then perhaps you have a, a chance against the bully. Uh, Here, Assyria is the bully. Syria and Israel are the smaller nations forming an alliance against the bully. And the reason they want to attack Jerusalem is because they want to install their own king. Uh, They want to put in place a puppet king so that Jerusalem or the kingdom of Judah will be part of this anti-Assyrian alliance, you see. Uh, You can see it there in in verse 6. Have a look with me at verse 6. Syria and Israel are saying to one another, let's go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Uh, Now, friends, uh, it's difficult for us who live in peacetime to uh, exactly imagine what this must have been like for Ahaz and the people. But you can see the reaction of Ahaz and the people in this passage, can't you? In verse 2, it says, When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, which is another word for Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. You see, a shaking like a leaf. They are terrified and frightened as they hear of enemy armies amassing on the northern border, ready to come in to Judah. But friends, uh, here is where God's word comes to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. Now, you can see what God says there in verse 4, can't you? Now, have a look at verse 4. God says, Be quiet, uh, be careful, be quiet, Do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smouldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remalia. Do you see what God is saying here? He's saying to Ahaz, don't be rash, Ahaz. Don't take matters into your own hands. Be careful. 
uh, and do not uh, fear. You don't have to do anything or say anything because of these uh, two smouldering stumps of firebrands who are resin and Syria. Uh, If you trust me, then no harm will Notice how God describes resin and pecker. Uh, they are merely two sorts. They are just like burnt out pieces of wood after a campfire. They are not powerful. They will not burn you. And they will soon come to an end. In fact, uh, God says there that within 65 years, both nations will be shattered. You can see it there in verse 7. It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin, and within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remalia. Uh, you see, friends, uh, Isaiah is really at a fork in the road here, isn't he? He needs to make a difficult choice. Remember, uh, he is frightened. But will he put his faith in what God has just said in his word, he be faithless and try to find his own solution? Will he try to take matters into his own hands? If he puts his faith and trust in God's word, then God would take care of Syria and Israel, who are just lumps of wood. But if he is faithless, then God promises that Ahaz's kingdom will crumble. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all, says God. Now, friends, I just need to point out at this stage that uh, there is a significant difference between Ahaz and ourselves. Uh, Ahaz, uh, as you would have noticed, is the king of Judah in the line of David. Uh, What is at stake here in his faith or faithlessness are actually the promises that God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 when God promised that he would establish David's kingdom forever. One of his sons will rule his kingdom forever. And so it's not right to immediately put ourselves into the shoes of Ahaz. However, I wonder whether like Ahaz, there can be times when we come to you know, a bit of a fork in the road where the choice is between doing what God has said in his word and taking matters into our own hands. Have you ever faced that kind of fork in the road? Uh, Obviously, I can't uh, speak about every situation, but perhaps for some of us, it's the choice of dating or marrying a non-Christian person. I think God's word is very clear that marrying a non-Christian person is a very foolish thing to do and it will jeopardise your faith. Will you trust God's word or in fear of what your future will look like will you take matters into your own hands? Or uh, how about the choice of jobs? Over the years I've seen many people seeing a job because... It's lucrative, and it sounds exciting, even though it puts demands on them, which will mean that they cannot continue to be committed 
as a Christian committed to serving God and his people. God is very clear in his word that being a faithful and committed Christian person is much more important than the job someone has. Will you trust God's word or will you take matters into your own hands? Or, perhaps for us, when we are frightened and we wonder whether God can be trusted, uh, whether God will uh, follow through with his word to be good to us, will you trust God's word or will you take matters into your own hands? And so, friends, uh, we've seen that Ahaz is at a fork in the road here. But what does he decide to do in the end? Will he put his faith in God's word or will he choose to do it his own way? Well, sadly, uh, you can see in our passage that Ahaz decides to disobey God's word. Uh, His faith does not prove to be firm. Uh, And you can see it there in his refusal to ask God for a sign. Uh, If you have a look at verse 11, God says to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. You see, God says to Ahaz that he can ask for a sign from God to show that God uh, will actually rescue him from his enemies. Notice that Ahaz is invited to ask for uh, anything that he desires. Nothing will be too hard for God. Let it be as, as, as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven, says God. But what does Ahaz say? Well, in verse 12, he says, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, friends, uh, it is true, isn't it, that we shouldn't seek for signs from God if our intention is merely to be entertained by him or because we think that we are somehow above God and he needs to prove himself to us. But I want you to see here that it's not wrong to ask God for a sign when he has actually invited you to ask him for a sign. In fact, not to ask him for a sign is plain disobedience. And Ahaz here, uh, Ahaz here uh, disobeys God. I mean, he does it piously, notice, because he even quotes a passage in the Bible. He says, uh, you know, I don't want to put the law to the test which is just a a quote from Deuteronomy 6. But how easy it is to appear pious while in reality being faithless and disobedient to God's word. You see, Ahaz has this thin kind of surface religiosity. He can even quote Bible texts, but it's a front for really evading what God wants him to do. Uh, You don't have to look this up right this minute, but uh, if you just jot down the reference 2 Kings chapter 16, 2 Kings chapter 16, uh, what you'll find is that in the end, Ahaz, rather than trusting God's word and waiting for God to rescue him, actually calls upon the nation of Assyria to come and rescue him from the two kings who are threatening war. 
Uh, one commentator says that it's a bit like a mouse asking a cat to rescue him from another mouse. Uh, what do you think will happen in the end? Uh, well, after he gobbles up the first mouse, uh, you know that he's going to come for you. And that is exactly what happens, as we will see later, as Assyria rampages through uh, the, the kingdoms of Syria and Israel, only to then attack Jerusalem. But for now, the point is that Ahaz was not firm in his faith. Uh, What is God's response to Ahaz? Uh, Well, firstly, you can see there that God is wearied by Ahaz's disobedience. He is wearied by Ahaz's disobedience. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says to Ahaz uh, and the people of Judah in verse 13. He says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? I don't know whether you noticed, but Isaiah actually says something very ominous in these verses. Uh, You can see it there where he calls God's ten. Isaiah says to Ahaz, your God. In verse 13, he says that he is my God. In, In other words, the implication is that Yahweh is only Isaiah's God and not the God Ahaz. Uh, secondly, you can see there that God himself gives Ahaz a sign. Uh, in verse 14 it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now friends, uh, I think that this is probably one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. I don't know whether you uh, felt that way as you were studying this passage uh, during the week. Uh, but I think it's, it's actually one of the most difficult passages in the Bible to understand. Uh, apparently the great reformer Martin Luther offered money to anyone in his con- congregation who could explain to him what this passage actually meant. Uh, I'm not going to do that uh, today. But uh, if you can help me out here, um, I'm keen to hear what you have to say. But it is a difficult passage. I mean, I mean we all know that this sign finds its fulfilment ultimately in Jesus, don't we? Uh, Jesus is the one who is born of a virgin and is literally God with us, which is what the name Emmanuel means. But this sign that God gives must have had some meaning to Ahaz in the historical situation that he found himself in, don't you think? Who is this son? Who is this Emmanuel to Ahaz? To be perfectly honest with you, uh, I have no idea. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Some say it could be Hezekiah, who is Ahaz's son, Uh, Others say that it is metaphorical for a a small remnant of people in Jerusalem who will survive the upcoming judgment. And still others say that it is one of Isaiah's sons, whom we meet later on in chapter 8, verse 3, whose name is Maha Shalal Hashbaz. 
Now, uh, personally, I think uh, Isaiah's son uh, is the one to go with. Uh, I think uh, um, if you read on into chapter 8 and 9, uh, that fits better uh, than some of the other options. But uh, uh, I've probably changed my mind about three or four times during the course of the week. So if you ask me tomorrow, I might change my mind. Uh, I think what is important, though, is that this son will not be a good sign for Ahaz. This son will not be a good sign for Ahaz. I think that's the point here. Uh, For before this son is very old, the nation of Assyria will sweep down and destroy the two kingdoms of Syria and Israel. Uh, Verse 16, For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. But notice that the Assyrian army will not simply stop with those two nations. The king of Assyria will come all the way to Jerusalem. Verse 17, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as has not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. What will it be like when the frightening nation of Assyria comes to Jerusalem? Well, you can see in the rest of uh, our passage that Isaiah gives four in-that-day statements to tell us what that day will be like. Verse 18 is a picture of the Assyrians swarming over the land. Uh, God whistles for Assyria to come. And they come and cover every part of Judah. Uh, Verse 20 is a picture of humiliation. Uh, I looked around uh, the house to see whether I could find a razor, which is mentioned there. Uh, All I could find was my electric shaver. Um, God says that Assyria will be like a razor that he will use to shave bear his people and utterly humiliate them. Assyria is just a tool in God's hands to humiliate. Verse 21 is a picture of how few people will be left in Judah. There will be so few people that one young cow and two sheep will be enough to produce food in abundance for whatever people that that are left. And finally, verse 23 is a picture of a land that is cursed rather than a pressing picture, isn't it? But because Ahaz and indeed the people of Judah were not firm in faith, God gives them this sign to say that judgment is coming. You see, without faith, there is no future for the people of God. Without faith, there is no future for the people of God. And friends, I think we see this all the time, don't we? Uh, When I was living in Parramatta as uh, a more college student, uh, I I used to see quite a few old historic church buildings being converted into restaurants and pubs. Have you ever ate in one of those those buildings? Uh, I think it's a fairly trendy thing to do to convert old churches 
into places of eating and drinking. But what happened to these old churches? There are quite a few of them littered around Sydney. What happened to these old churches? Well, somewhere along the line, they ceased to be people of faith. I'm sure there was a thin veneer of religiosity, but somewhere along the line, they ceased to be people who loved God's word and trusted what God had to say and eagerly lived their lives in obedience to what God's word was saying. Uh, Friends, are you and I people of faith? Will God find in this place a people who, when faced with choices, when we come to forks in our life, will God find in this place people who affirm in faith, who choose to obey God rather than choose to do it our own way? Sometimes I find when people come and ask me about difficult decisions they need to make, uh, sometimes people have already got their mind made up even before I tell them what God's word says. Uh, Have you ever done that before? Uh, Sometimes we uh, know what we want to do even before we hear what God wants us to do. And what God says through Isaiah is that without faith in God's word, there is no future for the people of God. But is it all bad news? Uh, Well, uh, not really, for you will find that peppered throughout this passage are actually little uh, glimmers of hope if we have eyes to see that suggests that even though God is going to bring judgment to Jerusalem and Judah, well, he will nevertheless save uh, a little remnant of people who are truly faithful to God's word. Um, You can see it there in verse 3, for example. In the name of Isaiah's son, She-Jashub. If you have a look down at your footnote, uh, the name of Isaiah's son literally means a remnant shall return. A remnant will survive the judgment. Or you can see it again in verse 14 in the mention of Emmanuel. Uh, Even though judgment is coming, God is still with the faithful and he will not abandon them. You see, in every place and every generation, God has his faithful whom he will bring safely through the judgment. Well, friends, uh, how should we then apply this passage uh, as we close? Uh, I think the first thing we need to realise is that we are not the same as the people of Jerusalem. Uh, The people of Jerusalem in this passage followed um, a faithless king who led them to destruction. But if you and I are people who have our faith uh, and trust in the Lord Jesus, we follow a faithful king who has promised to lead us, uh, not to judgment, but to life. Further, the people of Jerusalem had been so faithless that they are judged and condemned by God. 
Uh, we, on the other hand, have the wonderful promise that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, whose faith and trust are in him and his death and resurrection. So I take it, friends, that Isaiah 7 is really a warning to us to not be outwardly religious, but inwardly changed by God's grace and to be firm in faith, to trust God and to be obedient to what he says. Uh, in our New Testament reading this morning, uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, uh, we'll just end on this passage. So if you want to flick to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, um, listen to what the author of Hebrews says there. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says, Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence or faith firm to the end." Notice that this is a, an encouragement and a warning to be firm in faith. Uh, it's an encouragement for us to uh, exhort and encourage one another uh, to be firm in faith. Uh, I was particularly struck and challenged uh, that this passage tells us to exhort one another every day. Did you notice that? Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, we are to encourage and warn one another every day so that we are growing in our faith, not just at church, but in homes and in our marriages and as we eagerly seek out opportunities to meet with other Christian people to offer encouragement. Are we exhorting one another every day so that we will be firm in our faith? Let's pray.